0: Hey guys, surprise, we are going to dive into Revelation again. And I think I have a plan now um, for us to be able to stay together. I, I always put it like during the week and then during the week I get busy with work. So I'm thinking, okay, I love getting on here and it's stupid that I cannot seem to figure out how to get on here. And go through the Word of God, and so I decide why not Saturdays. So as you can tell, I'm doing laundry. I have a mess behind me. Just got back from the gym. I am pumped. Let's do this. Okay, if you um, have missed any of the past teachings, or you're like, okay, where the heck are we? Because it's been so long. Because guys, I've been. Since the last time I think I've been to Greece and Puerto Rico, I'm so glad to be home and not traveling anymore, Um, but you can imagine it's been crazy. But the last lesson was number seven on the second, uh, or the, yeah, the second interlude part two. All of the teachings, including all of my past teachings for years, is at the Destination Church podcast. If you type in my name, Sherry Wilson, you should be able to find it. And this is going to be a part one and a part two as well. And uh, we're going to start at Revelation chapter 12. And we'll read uh, verses one through two to start off with. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon between her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and agony of giving birth. So, this is another interlude between the trumpets and the bowls. So, it's like a, my life has flashed before my eyes type moment of Israel is the woman with the 12 um, stars on her head. So, that's representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So, the woman is the nation of Israel. The pregnant, uh, she is pregnant with Jesus, okay, and then we have, <coughs> Excuse me. And then we have a dragon involved in this situation as well. Now, I'm going to try to break things down as simple as possible, but you may need a piece of paper and a pen because it gets a little bit crazy. Okay, so the woman woman is clothed with the sun and the moon between her feet with the crown of 12 stars. She's in labor. All right, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, that's important, and 10 horns, and with seven crowns on his heads. So he's got seven heads, and each head has a crown, and then there's 10 horns. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. So the dragon is not just referring to the enemy or to Satan. It's actually referring to the Antichrist system that he has set up over the centuries. That's really important. So the red dragon is the Antichrist system. Okay. And again, it can refer to the enemy as well. But this will become clear as we continue. Now, let's uh, go over real fast to Revelation 13, one through 2. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of the lion, a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and authority. Okay, so this should be very similar to the book of Daniel, which we studied in depth before I started this uh, series, Heavy Revy. So the, um, the beast coming up again out of the sea, which sea often represents humanity, looked like the leopard, which was Alexander the Great's empire, had the feet of the bear, which is the medo Persian Empire, and the mouth of the lion, which is the Babylonian Empire. So Satan represented here as a dragon. So remember, we're seeing the dragon that's sourced by Satan's authority and power. So it's an antichrist system, but the dragon also can represent the devil. And he gives the beast out of the sea power th- throne. And great authority, so power is dunamis, which is which is supernatural power. It's the same word that's used for the supernatural power of God. Throne speaks of royal authority, but it's used for dominion. And authority is exousia, implying that he will give the uh, the beast uh, authority, right, liberty, and legal jurisdiction. Those words are also used to describe our authority. So when the Lord said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. In Luke ten nineteen, the word authority there is exousia. So it's legal jurisdiction. So we have legal jurisdiction over all the uh, power of the enemy. The word power there is dunamis or supernatural power. <clears throat> so the beast out of the sea will be given dunamis power, royal authority, and legal jurisdiction over the dragon's world system, the final push of the enemy's antichrist system, and the fourth beast is a culmination of all the previous ones combined and the most fearful and the most destructive of all past systems, including Rome's. So remember, that's all from Daniel. Again, you can listen to these on the podcast, Destination Church, don't find it, just search under Sherry Wilson. Okay, so the seven heads and the ten horns with the ten crowns on the horns are explained in Revelation 17. Uh, So, let's go over there. And we're going to start at number nine. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth now reigns and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer is the eighth kingdom. So it was, but it is no longer is the eighth king. He is like the other seven and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. So at the time when John wrote this, they will be appointed to their kingdoms for for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together, they will go to war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. So obviously this is a future situation, but Revelation explains itself. So it tells us right here what these seven heads are, what the seven that they represent seven kings as well as seven hills, five have already fallen, that there is an eighth that is going to come, there is one that existed but is no longer, so there's going to be a resurrection of a kingdom, an ancient kingdom. And then the ten horns of the beast are the ten kings that have not yet risen to power. Okay, now <clears throat> we know again that the ten kings are not in authority or uh, in um, co- uh, like a coalition with the eighth king or kingdom. Because in God's mind, a king and a kingdom are the same thing, okay? So they were not uh, yet existing during John's time. The word appointed, that they were appointed, is a combo of four Greek words that means they will receive power and authority to be kings for a brief moment because at this point, we're either down to months or years, just a few years before uh, the return of Jesus. They're going to enter into a coalition with the beast, the eighth king, and give him their power and authority so that he and his kingdom will be the one world rule and ruler. They're going to persecute God's people, both Israel and Christ's followers. We know this because uh, the saints are crying out for the justice of God because they're being beheaded. I've already gone into a lot of that, the timeline of the catching away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So again, go back and listen to these teachings and it'll become clearer. Um, The Antichrist's goal, this beast and his kingdom, is to be worshiped as God, which is what the dragon has been after from the start. So it's like a worship of Satan by proxy of his Messiah, okay? Now, the seven heads is interesting to me because they represent hills and kings. The word head is top of or chief. It's used to describe the chief cornerstone. Satan is the chief of the world system that he has formed, the Antichrist system. These represent seven kings, five have fallen, the six now reigns. John also says they represent the seven hills. The ancient church actually called Rome Babylon, and Rome was known for its seven hills. You've got the Aventine hill, the Caelan hill, the Capitoline Hill, Esquiline Hill, Palatine Hill, Quirinal Hill, and Viminal Hill. Now, tradition tells us, at least Roman tradition, that Romulus and Remus founded the original city on the Palatine Hill on April 21st, 753 BC. And that the seven hills were first occupied by small settlements that were not grouped, The Seven Hills denizens began to interact, which began to bond the groups. The city of Rome thus came into being as these different settlements acted as a group. They drained the marshy valleys between them, and then they turned them into markets. Later, in the 4th century BC, the Servian walls were constructed to protect the Seven Hills, and hence Rome was born. Okay, so... I believe that John used the phrase seven hills where the woman rules to point out that at that moment, Rome was the sixth chief. So he says, the sixth now reigns. Now when he's referring to the woman, remember he's referring to the uh, the um, harlot that rides the dragon. Okay, the seventh is, is to come, but his reign in light of the other six kings is going to be very, very brief, super short. Now, when you look at the book of Daniel, you don't see hills that describe kingdoms. Mountains were used. But John is pinpointing the current hill ruling in his day in relation to the end of the age prophecy. Now, I'm going to give you the nations that I believe the seven represent, Well, actually, the five that were before as far as dominion, they dominated the world, the known world at that time. So uh, I believe the first was Egypt. Then you have Assyria. And notice in all of these, they all interacted with Israel and they all persecuted Israel. So that's what makes them stand out more than maybe another nation at the time so Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia and Greece. So Daniel saw from Babylon on and these preceded the fourth which was Rome. John is living in that kingdom that Daniel saw and he tells us in Daniel 7:19 through 27 Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and then a little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the others. This horn had seemed greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Then he said to me, This fourth beast is a fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everywhere in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. So, ten kings will rule the fourth beast. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of the kings. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under his control for a times, times, and half a time. So now we're talking about the final Antichrist, the final Antichrist kingdom and human ruler. But then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the uh, holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. Okay. um, Now, we see a mingling going on here where we have the Roman Empire, which is number six. So if we go back, we have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, medo Persian, Greece, and uh, Rome. But Daniel, what he sees is it even goes past that into the future that we're reading about right now in Revelation that has not yet happened. And that's often the case with prophecy. Like you have to understand how prophecy works in the Bible. There's often an immediate application, a future application, and then sometimes there's a whole bunch of like time frames that are in one prophecy. So that's what's happening here with Daniel. Okay, so the fourth beast is Rome. There's a little horn that comes up later which is speaking of the future antichrist that did not manifest itself in Daniel's time unless you go into Antiochus Epiphanes who was the ruler that kicked off the Maccabean war that slaughtered the pig and built an altar to Zeus in the most holy place of the Israel or the J- Jerusalem temple. Okay. So this little horn boasts arrogantly and wages war against God's people until the ancient one comes and judges the final king is going to have ten, kingdom is going to have ten kings who rule that em, um, empire until another king arrives and subdues three of those, prompting the rest to enter into an alliance with him, as John saw in Revelation chapter seventeen. So this alliance isn't out of goodwill. The alliance between you got the ten kings, he subdues the three, the other seven remaining enter into a treaty with this uh, this final little horn, it's because if they don't, the little horn is going to destroy them, okay? So it is uh, a threat of destruction that causes them to enter into this <clears throat> alliance. <clears throat> now, this is my personal opinion. I don't know if it's um, going to be a literal thing, so I'm not saying that this is what the word says, but the deadly wound on the beast, and then his resurrection might be referring to a resurrected kingdom or a Roman empire. Now, what's uh, important to understand about the Roman empire is there is the east and the west. The west is what we experienced and what our government's made after. So, you've got like Greece and England and Germany, and then went on to, you know, our nation, etc. The east was actually Islamic. You got Turkey you have all of those nations over there that um, they, they basically went into an um, uh, Islamic type nation system, right? So the resurrected Roman Empire could be a combination uh, or because like a lot of the Roman Empire and where the churches are, like the seven churches in Revelation, they're in Turkey and in uh, Turkey is Islam or Islamic, Muslim. And then you have Greece on, which, by the way, Greece stopped Persia. Uh, you know, modern-day Iran from taking over the world. Uh, they they fended off the Turks. Uh, to this day, if you say the word Turk with uh, in Greece, they just shiver because they occupied Greece for a while. So we owe the nation of Greece, actually, a thank you because they stopped Islam from taking over the Western world. So it'll be interesting to see how the ancient Roman Empire is resurrected. Will it be dominantly Islam, or will it be a combination? It's it's an interesting thought. So we know that the Antichrist kingdom is going to come out of that fourth one, which was Rome. And Daniel clearly connects the fourth kingdom, Rome, with the ten kings, creating a coalition with the Antichrist. And then two, in Daniel 9, 26, he ties Rome to the Antichrist by pointing out that, quote, a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. This was specific to Rome, and it was General Titus who surrounded Jerusalem in AD 70 and raised it to the ground. I mean, the temple was destroyed, the fire that destroyed the temple was so hot it melted the gold off of things. Uh, They didn't mean to do that, but Jesus prophesied where he said, uh, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to collect you under my wings like a hen collects her chicks, but you have missed the day of your visitation. Therefore, the uh, armies will surround you and will bring this city to desolation. So that happened in AD 70 under General Titus when Rome was the power. Okay, so Titus destroyed the temple and a later ruler will also destroy the city and possibly a third temple at the end of the age. Number three, Daniel in 2.40-45 tells us the same thing. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now, this is interesting. We're now into the final kingdom. We're not in the initial Roman kingdom. We are in some type of resurrected ancient empire that you have the ten toes, the ten kings, there's this coalition, there's this mixture. Well, the word mixed there, look it up. In Strong's Concordance, the word mixed there is Arab. So that's why I'm thinking there's some type of Islamic component here. Uh, And on top of that, the saints in Revelation are beheaded. Islam is the only one that in their Quran, they're supposed to behead infidels. And uh, Tomi Yomi has a great teaching on that, on Islam. So just... Uh, you know, in YouTube, do his name and then Islam and it'll come up. It's like over two hours, 100% worth it, guys, 100%. Okay, so the toes uh, uh, of the feet are partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile. As you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed... And the kingdom shall not be left in other people, and it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, so all these, you know, uh, nations, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this, the dream is certain, its interpretation is sure." So the God of heaven actually set up his kingdom in Jesus Christ in the first Roman Empire, and his kingdom will consume all the other kingdoms. Um, And again, I can be wrong for sure on the resurrected kingdom being the Roman Empire or the resurrection of the beast with the mortal wound being an empire. You know, it could be a, a literal man, the final antichrist is wounded and resurrected. I don't know. But God often interchanges these ideas. Um, Now, back to the woman. And we're going to finish up uh, with her, and I'll do part two next week. So we see that the dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Here's what it represents, guys. A socio-political system. Okay? Uh, I highly recommend that you listen to the Daniel series where I um, talked about He That Restrains. I tell you exactly what that is and base it on the Word of God. Again, Destination Church podcast or search for my name, you'll find it. The socio-political system that the Antichrist forms. John makes it clear that this is the enemy in his system because Satan took a third of the angels with him when he fell I kind of go back and forth on what that actually means. Um, I'm hoping to get clarity on that later. He then used all his supernatural and demonic powers to devour, devour the woman's baby as soon as he was born. This is seen when Herod, the uh, Rome's puppet king, he was the first king who was not a full-blooded Jew on the throne. Uh, that was actually prophesied in Genesis 49, where the prophecy to Judah was that There would be a king from Judah on the throne until Shiloh comes. The word Shiloh is he whose right it is and also refers to the king of peace. We know that was Jesus Christ. So that was another sign that the Messiah was coming because Herod was Edomian. He was actually a descendant of Esau. So he was part Jew, part Edomite. He was not a true uh, full-blooded Jew. So he killed all the babies from two years and under trying to eliminate Jesus. And where did Jesus go? His parents took him to Egypt on the direction of the Lord. Now, it's crucial to keep in mind that the enemy works through governments. It's also crucial to keep in mind that the Father promised nations to Jesus in Psalm 2. And finally, it's absolutely crucial to understand that the church was never supposed to disengage from the world's systems, but instead, was to operate covertly and overtly and in them in order to disciple. Now, I'm going to blow you away with a, an idea that blew me away. I mean, it's in the Bible. I don't know why I never saw it. Uh, but uh, Tell Me I Were Yomi, and that teaching I was telling you about, uh, brings this up. So let me read the scripture first. But you are God's chosen treasure. And just see if you can spot, because we're talking about nations. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God, God's devoted one. Okay, so let's <clears throat> just kind of, you know, ponder this. Okay, let me give you uh, real fast. The word that is often translated church in the Bible is actually "ecclesia." The word, the Greek word for church is "curios." But that's not what is used. It's ecclesia. Ecclesia was a worldly government term. It referred to <clears throat> Roman citizens where two or more would gather together, they could execute the uh, will of Rome. It was uh, used to describe the military leaders of city states that would come together um, and strategize. And uh, so it was a, a definite military government structure, okay? Church, curios, was um, the English word church, was used to replace assembly everywhere ecclesia was used uh, in the King James Bible because King James did not want the people of God to assemble outside <clears throat> of his permission and the Anglican church. So, this idea of church inside of buildings is not what Jesus was referring to when he would use the word church. So out of, I believe, 115 times, only two he actually used, or the word "curios" is actually used. The remainder of the times is ecclesia. The problem that the church system and teachings has created is we do not see ourselves as the people of God as a nation, We see ourselves as a religion. So I'm not saying we're to take up arms and conquer nations. I'm not saying that at all. But think of how different you will approach your walk and how you interact with the world systems and how your ministry looks like as a nation versus a religion that gets together twice a week in a building. Okay, so the church or ecclesia is not a religion. We are a nation. Okay, and let me just maybe step on some toes. If we look at 1 Corinthians, listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you, as those who are spiritually mature people, for you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Now, I love the idea of the mindset of the flesh because most Christians, when you read this, they're dominated by the flesh. Your old nature has been crucified. It is not alive. It is dead. The mindset of the flesh is the soul that has been trained to think as a sinner. The purpose of the word and the work of salvation is to renew your mind so when your mind is thinking in a way that is contrary to the word it is not your old nature causing fits it's the way of thinking that has not yet been transformed that's why romans 12:2 all kinds of different scriptures talk about you know the word renewing our thinking process so then he says and because you are immature infants in christ i had to nurse you and feed you with milk not with the solid food and more advanced teachings because you weren't ready. In fact, you're still not ready. For you're living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. How? How are they? Why are they stunted in their growth? Listen to this. Is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourselves with others? So jealousy in comparison. Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you're living your life centered on yourselves. Dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Three times. And, get this, behaving like unbelievers. Oh, my word. Then he says, for when you divide yourselves up in groups, a Paul group, an Apollos Apollos group, a Baptist, a Church Christ, a Methodist, you're acting like people without the Spirit's influence. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Okay, so we are a nation. Now in revelation, let's get back over to chapter 12. So if you think about it, the end of the age where the eighth beast, the eighth kingdom goes after God's people, okay? the church. It's a nation or nations coming against nation. So it's a clash of nations. What gospel of the king or what gospel will be preached before the Lord returns? the gospel of the kingdom. So it's a clash between kingdoms and a clash between power, the dunamis power of God within us, the indwelling, and then the dunamis power that the enemy gives, that final kingdom. Okay, so these are just very important things to understand. And when we understand these things, it makes Revelation a lot easier to grasp. So now we're at verse 5 in Revelation 12. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God in his throne. So that's Jesus, the resurrection. The woman fled into the wilderness where God prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. That has not yet happened, okay? Then there was war. Oh, wait, wait, let me stop. Okay, now um, where it says... Um, that the child was snatched away from the dragon and caught up to God and his throne. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. That's also in the Psalms. But we know for sure this is Jesus, but the word rule is interesting. It's not like normally is used in the Greek. It is poimeno, and it means to shepherd, okay? Okay. So Jesus sits on the throne of David, who was the great shepherd of Israel during his rule. David had a heart like God. He established a governmental authority and throne that was so God-focused and prophetic that Jesus now sits on the throne of the son, as the son of David, a clear messianic t- title. And then Jesus, of course, is the good shepherd. Okay, now let's finish with uh, Isaiah and Revelation 19. Got a few more verses. So we're going to get back over to 19 and read verses 15 through 16. <clears throat> and you may have to listen or watch this over and over, guys, and take notes. Seriously, um, you know, systematic study of books in the Bible is very beneficial because all of a sudden context is there. And uh, and you get a special blessing for reading uh, the book of Revelation also. Okay, so in verse 15, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written the title, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. By the way, that's a tattoo. Um. So Jesus has a tattoo. Okay, Jesus was snatched away to Egypt when the enemy, you know, killed all the babies through Herod. He's also snatched and caught up to heaven post resurrection where he now sits on his throne at the right hand of the Father. But the next part's referring to the future where the woman Israel flees to the wilderness for three point five years. And that's interesting. The wilderness? Is it a do over? They failed the first time when they were taken out of Egypt. Just thought so I believe this is a, um, a Jewish remnant. I think it's uh, Zechariah or Zephaniah. One of the two tells us that two-thirds of um, Jewish people will be uh, killed, unfortunately. So um, only one-third is going to be left at his coming because he always has a remnant. Okay, now back over to Revelation 12, 7 through 9. I'm just letting Revelation interpret Revelation. Then there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against a dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he is an angels he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Now that's that's gonna be a bad day, okay? All right. <clears throat> so this language is very reminiscent of Daniel when Gabriel explained that he and Michael Uh, the guardian of Israel, they were fighting the prince of Persia. They were fighting the prince, and they knew the prince of Greece was coming. So the fight is to prevent an absolute and total destruction of Israel. That's what they do. That's what Michael does. So whenever a world power that antichrist in nature takes over, these angels engage the spiritual prince over that nation because that nation wants to wipe out Israel. Okay, so that's what that's talking about. Um, And then, of course, this will purify a remnant, which is spoken of in Isaiah chapter 4. So let's head over there, and I think, oh, good grief. Now I got Daniel chapter 12. Oh, no, no, we're good. So this is the last thing in Isaiah chapter 4. It's one of my favorite verses, but it's also a very sad passage. Okay, so we're going to read verse. Uh, start at verse 1. In that day, so few men will be left in Israel that women will fight for each man, saying, Let us marry you. We will provide our own food and clothing. Only let us take your name so we won't be mocked as old maids. But in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of those who survive in Israel. All who remain in Zion will be a holy people those who survived the destruction of Jerusalem and are recorded among the living. The Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with a hot breath of fiery judgment. Then the Lord will provide shade for Mount Zion and all who assemble there. He will provide a canopy of cloud during the day, sound reminiscent and smoke and flaming fire at night, covering the glorious land. It will be a shelter from daytime heat and a hiding place from storms and the rain. So it's sad, but the end of the age is gonna result in two thirds being killed and so many killed that women will fight over the man and be willing to take care of themselves. All of this is a purging that must occur so that when Jesus returns, he is not rejected again by his own people, okay? So anyway, hopefully this makes sense. Part two will not be as long, Um, next week we'll finish chapter 12, uh, but I definitely wanted to get, uh, tonight's done so that we can get back on track. Okay. All right, guys, you have a wonderful night and I'm going to get me some dinner.